Good morning. Welcome into In Focus on News Radio KMAN on a Thursday morning. And it is our once a month chance to uh, talk with the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce President and CEO, Jason Smith. He joins us in studio. Good morning, sir. What's up, fellas? Not too much. Uh, how's the weather out there? Is it, is it warming up yet? It's, yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's spring. So yeah, uh, it beats. Remember last month we came in here and we were talking about snow again. And I'm like, snow? Yeah. It's, it can't snow in spring. It's crazy. So I prefer this to snow. Yeah, our friends over in Colorado, maybe even extreme western Kansas might see a little bit of that. I don't know. But they're talking snow in Colorado, northern Colorado specifically. So. Well, yeah, it's it's summer and it, and we need summer weather. I'm ready for it. Yeah, me too. Well, it's good to see you. Uh, I know you've been uh, busy with a lot of things here this month, uh, including the Flint Hills Regional Leaders Retreat, uh, which was last week. How well was that attended? Would you say um, it was good? We had over 200 registered for it, which uh, is the first time we've had that many since um, um, I believe I believe Charlotte said 2017. So. Um, I thought that was good. Of course, last time we had it, it was in August. And I think we still had some people who were uh, COVID concerned and didn't attend. Uh, we originally scheduled this one it, every year. It's in January. And of course, this was, year was supposed to be in January, too. And uh, we had that spike and um, some concerns were raised by our medical community and about we should wear masks. And we just didn't think that was conducive to dialogue between people. And so we Went ahead and delayed it and thought we wanted to get it done before summer. And th- that was this was the only weekend we could do it uh, at, uh, at the conference center here in Manhattan, uh, which obviously was a little difficult with graduation week going on last week. So people had a lot on their plate. And, uh, but we had a good attendance, a great uh, participation from the attendees. And I thought overall a lot of information that was it – was, I had one person comment – uh, last time we had discussion about a lot of the challenges that were in front of us, and this time it felt like uh, there was a lot of solutions and progress on on where we were on those solutions. So um, I think that's a pretty good description. Yeah. I know we had some reporters go out and cover uh, some of those things. I know we definitely covered the uh, Jack Alston's discussion and also, uh, oh, what was the other one, the... Uh the tourism stuff uh, on Friday and lots of good information there. Uh, but uh, they're kind of coupled in there. There was, there's, you had everybody involved. You had Manhattan, Wamego, Junction City, seemed like the whole gamut of the region. Yeah, we tried to set up a scenario where, as we reported on each issue, uh, we let each county uh, community uh, talk about what was going on in their, their various areas. And uh, for the most part, that works pretty well. And sometimes you don't get an exact match on on what you're talking about. But um, but we appreciate we had a couple of volunteers from Junction City who who sat in and, and uh, made reports because uh, Mickey uh, uh, Dean was out of town. And so I appreciate them doing that. And, uh, of course, Jack always does his stuff. And Jessa Voos, who's the new chamber president in Wamigo, I think executive director is, is her title uh, in Wamigo, was there the entire time and um, did a great job for her first one and actually was the host for we have a joint board dinner where we invite all the boards from the various chambers and then elected officials and Jessa was the host for that and did a great job there too so um, I'm excited about how it ended up and but I'm even more excited about uh, what felt like very positive momentum on relationship building and what that might lead to for the next one and uh, as as you know these things 
take a while to get put together. And so Charlotte and I have already had our first meeting to discuss the next one. And we'll, uh, we sent out uh, our surveys and we'll get back and see kind of what people's thoughts are. Uh, as you know, these have historically been uh, in the Kansas City area and um, we moved them back a couple years ago because of COVID and making sure that we were supporting our local hotels and restaurants and those kind of things. And But uh, we also want to be mindful of what are the people who go think, and so we're, we've asked them that specific question. And um, you know, there's there's really good arguments for both. Uh, you have people who say, "Well, if you get if I can get away, then I don't get pulled into the office, and I don't." And we did have a lot of people coming in and out um, as part of that process. But then you have other people who say, "Well, but if I had a meeting scheduled, I would have had to stay here, and I wouldn't gone to any of it. And this way, I could have gone. I could at least go to some of it." Um, you have, you know, the other group that says if you're away, you get better uh, dialogue in the off hours. So you, people go to dinner together and people kind of sit down in the lobby of the hotel together and they have good conversation. It's it's a really difficult decision and, and I can hear um, positives in both arguments. And so let's we'll kind of see what the people who attend think and um, and then we'll have our various boards weigh in on that and kind of see where we end up in January. Yeah, I yeah I wondered if maybe if you go back to the more traditional January setting there, or maybe that's part of the survey. Well, no, I think we're going to be in January. Okay. I think we would have been in Jan- we would have been in January the last two years. It just was a situation where we didn't think we could safely do it uh, in a manner that that would be most effective, and so we've delayed it both times. So our goal is to go back, you know, go back to January, and uh, I, and hopefully we're past at least any major outbreaks like we've had and we'll, we'll be able to do that in January. Yeah. I, I got a, I got a good feeling that we should be probably in the clear here by then. Knock a wood. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's great. Well, and you get a lot of good information, uh, that comes to these here and, and we've seen a lot of economic success here the last month or so, uh, with Scorpion being announced and, and uh, I know there's other, uh, businesses are probably looking here after that announcement as well. So uh, you, you talked about having momentum. Uh, that That's such a, a key thing right now. This may be uh, one of the better uh, momentum drivers here uh, of some time here with, with the recent announcements. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a credit to the partnerships that we've developed in this region between um, all the various economic development entities. And, uh, and quite frankly, it, it all started with the Region Reimagined Strategy. It was released in 2018, and, and I made a brief presentation about where we were and the status of that. And, um, and, and I mentioned at the time that I felt like maybe we got a little bit off track in how we were communicating exactly what Region Reimagined was, uh, because Region Reimagined started as an economic development strategy, because my predecessor, Lyle Butler, and, and leadership of the chamber at the time recognized the challenges that, that had started and, and laid ahead um, in terms of public employment in Manhattan, and we've seen that happen, right? We've seen some reductions at Fort Riley since 2014. We've seen, obviously, reduction in students since 2014, and th- all those things impact employment. And, you know, I've said before, we've been stagnant in our employment growth over the last, you know, eight years. Uh, and a lot of people take that as negative when I say that. And it is a negative trend, right? I don't want to, I don't want to uh, sugarcoat it at all. But 
when you look at all the negative things that have happened to us economically, and there's nothing that, in my opinion, collectively as a community that we could have done to stop it. Some things just happen and you you have to adjust and figure out how you move forward. But to have the, the neg- negative things that have happened, so reduction 3,500 troops, reduction 3,500 um, public um, pri- um, civilian employee, employees at Fort Riley, reduction in nearly 4,000 students, to be flat is quite a remarkable achievement and has been done through a lot of creative uh, public sector investments and, and, of course, construction of MBAF and a lot of construction going on in Fort Riley. And so there's there's been a lot of things that have helped offset the losses. But we also recognize that we have to have a strategy for private sector growth. And we didn't really have a strategy at that time. And so I give a ton of credit to Law Butler and the leadership of the chamber at that time, guys like Jim Gordon and, and uh, Matt Crocker and Wayne Sloan, who worked on this strategy. It was an economic development strategy to add jobs in the community. There were a couple of things that happened in the during that process where it's like, you know what, this should be a regional strategy and 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 we should take it out regionally and that's a great idea. The challenge you get into is if you allow the regional part of that to dictate what you do in your plan. And I think we were getting a little off track in terms of, well, we have to get a plan that everyone agrees on and everyone signs off 100% on before we actively start working on it. And you just can't do that. And so we, in 2020, said we got to get moving on this strategy and and move forward because we have things that we need to get done in the community. Um, The other challenge I think we got into is we got a little off track in terms of uh, discussing um, quality of place initiatives. So, so what kind of things? And and these are those are all important, but you can't do one without the other, right? You need jobs to get people to move here, but you need amenities, and you need housing. I mean, all those things kind of fit together, and we were just sort of off track in terms of the jobs part. So we re, we created the Greater Manhattan Economic Partnership, which is a partnership that we have with Pottawatomie County Economic Development Corporation, and we went full all in. 2020 in terms of promoting the community, in terms of making sure we were out in front of all our existing businesses, and in terms of investing in entrepreneurship and uh, and the ecosystem in the community. And and we're starting to see the the fruits of that labor. And um, I believe uh, we issued our report. We have had nearly a thousand jobs announced uh, over the last 12 months. And um, that doesn't count MBAF, which is still in the process of adding another 150 or so people uh, in the next two years. And so, um, and nearly a billion dollars in investment. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about all the construction that will happen in this community over the next five years or so between Scorpion and, and the Art Museum and some of the things that uh, the foundation is planning in the Edge District uh, north of, uh, of the Kansas, Kansas State Athletic Facilities and K-State Athletics. And, and the Midtown Project in Aggieville, and it's just, you know, the, the, the positivity and that's, that's coming out now and, and, and the opportunities ahead are just remarkable and, and, uh, and a credit to, A, doing the plan, and B, um, our team that, that works every day and lives this every day. And so I just give them a ton of kudos because they've been outstanding. It is exciting to see all the progress that's happening, and I know it doesn't happen overnight, but it uh, it's a, it's kind of a slow and steady kind of moving always to that goal line. It seems like you're just kind of always kind of moving towards, and maybe you don't ever quite achieve 
exactly the goal here, but you keep on just yeah. plugging away. There are a lot of people who get. I've been in economic development now over twenty five years, and and I've watched people get into it because they have they have this feeling that it's something. I'm going to use a word that you know a lot more glamorous than than it really is. I, <laughs> I kind of teased Darren a little bit, who's our director of economic development. Darren Solden said, you know, this is all grunt work. This is not glamorous, and uh, in fact, now we call it intern work. But um, there, there, you just have to do the work. I mean, at the end of the day, there is a lot of kind of tedious grunt work kind of things that have to get done, and there's a lot of rejection. I mean, I, you know, I, I. I have lost more deals certainly over the years than I've won, and and um, you just have to wake up the next day and say, well, that one was gone. Let's go find the next one, and it's uh, it's it's a lot of work. But when you see these things come about and you can celebrate wins, that's when it that's when it becomes fun and uh, and and makes and for most people will make that uh, grunt work worth it. Some people don't like it and they get out pretty quick, but uh, it it definitely weeds out some of the some of the people who who maybe have different intentions and and than just working for the betterment of the community. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's take our first break on the program. We'll continue with Jason Smith in a moment. And if you had any phone calls, we'll take those as well. Five three seven thirteen fifty. In Focus continues after this on Kman. We are back here on In Focus News Radio Kman, talking with Jason Smith, President and CEO of the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce, and we have a caller standing by with a question. Uh, Jim from Manhattan. Go ahead, Jim. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Jason, I was wanting to know if you can uh, just speak a little bit to the due diligence that you either have done or are going to do in regards to um, forming a a joint venture with the now-named Nighthawk. When you look at, at their financials, you know, they've never made a profit in five years, and they're losing $2.75 $2.75 million a month. Um, what is the city's exposure if they were to go bankrupt in a year or two years or three years? And what gives you the confidence that, that that's a good fit? That's a good question, Jim, um, and one that we asked as well through this process. So um, I think, first of all, we um, – I think if you ask the economic developers who were involved in this process, we would have preferred that this would be publicly announced uh, after some of the process had been um, finished um, that we're currently going through. Um, there's a variety of reasons why they felt like they had to go ahead and make that public, and, and a lot of it did have to do with the uh, publicly traded nature of the company and, and their concern about messy C issues and so making sure that, that what they were doing was public. Um, they are, they have been a drug discovery company for however long they've been in existence and, and drug discovery companies, uh, tend to, uh, lose money till they find a drug that is, uh, marketable and then they sell. Um, they change strategies and I don't know exactly when they decided to make that decision, but they, they, um, uh, change their strategies a, a year or two ago to also get into the manufacturing business. And, that would include uh, trying to procure government contracts to do vaccines, for instance. And and I say that because they just announced that they, that Scorpion just announced they got a contract to produce um, a vaccine for the Canadian government, um, the anthrax vaccine, to help refill the stockpile. So um, this is a complete shift for them in, in their business model. And, and so I think part of the process of understanding that is, 
is trying to get your arms around what that looks like. And, and, uh, and we're still in the process of doing that. The thing that, that gives us, um, I think helps us in this process is the, uh, Scorpion will actually be leasing the facility from a large private development company. So, uh, that company will be coming forward very quickly. They've, they're still trying to finalize their deal again, which is one of those things that you wish you could have waited on uh, for a public announcement. But, um, and we have visited with the development company who is, uh, an expert in these kind of facilities. They've done them all over the country. They're, they're in the process of doing, um, a number of hospitals and, and other medical and, and then biological manufacturing facilities. And they will bring, they will be the ones who are out raising the capital, uh, from large capital partners across uh, the world, I would assume, who will be looking, who will be vetting this project to determine whether it's a viable project for them to for them to invest in. So we have a very close communication going with that group. In fact, I would say that when the time comes for uh, the agreements between the city uh, and the project, that most, if not all, the agreements will be with the developer, not with Scorpion, and so. Um, through that process, uh, they're they're vetting the company, and then and then of course we'll vet uh, this, the the wherewithal of the capital partners that are engaged with the development company. So what that what happens is if if and I you know we we believe Scorpion has the the uh, personnel and and uh, the wherewithal and and the ability to raise capital to to fulfill their strategy, and and we think that there are because of what the pandemic has taught us is that we need to have a lot more of this vaccine and, and drug manufacturing taking place domestically and not having to rely on foreign uh, companies for that production. And so we know those are coming back. We know that the U.S. government will be replenishing the uh, vaccine stockpile. We know that Scorpion or Nighthawk, I'm not sure which, uh, just hired the gentleman who used to run the stockpile. So obviously has a lot of connections into that world. Uh, and then we have a lot of confidence in our developer to vet this um, uh, thoroughly to make sure that that it will work for them. But in the case that it doesn't, and that could be that that could happen to any kind of company, we now have a partner with the development company who has contacts across the globe, and they're obviously going to be very, very, very motivated to fill that facility uh, as well. And so. Um, in fact, they've they've already sent us a lead on another project, so we know that they have contacts. We know that they 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 have the ability to to fill these kind of uh, facilities, and they're not going to build it if they don't feel like that there's a, a demand and a need for it. So, again, one of the things that I have said publicly multiple times: just because it got announced early does not mean that we will not go through our normal vetting process and we will not go through our normal due diligence. And if we feel like that it is it is not a good investment for the community or the county, we we will recommend pulling the plug on it. And uh, we don't think that's going to be the case here because of all the players that, that are at the table. But uh, that doesn't mean that we won't do it just like we would do for any project. Right. I mean, that's part of our responsibility is making sure that um, we're not making the wrong investments uh, with the wrong people. And um, we take that role very seriously and, and we're going to make sure we do that here. Okay. Well, I appreciate that information and uh, I, it, it's exciting to think about what it might be. I just encourage you to let the public know of the potential downside uh, to the city taxpayer, you know, if, 
if uh, the thing falls through in a year or two years or three three years, if if the company just can't, you know, make a go of it, I just would like to understand, you know, our potential downside because the upside is uh, is significant. Yeah, the the good news is that the investment will be in the ground, so the the building doesn't disappear and. Um, somebody will be paying taxes on it, uh, whether it's the developer or, or somebody will, will be paying taxes on it. And so uh, we are looking very closely at what the expected revenues um, on property taxes are, which, which are estimated to be fairly sizable. And, um, and so, but it is important to understand that, and, and we will be communicating that as we get further along in the process, particularly as, as the city starts evaluating uh, this project for incentives. All right, Jim, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, we're running a little long here, so I'm going to go ahead and take a break here, and we'll get into our uh, next discussion here about entrepreneurship. We'll do that after the break here on News Radio KMAN. Back here on In Focus, News Radio KMAN, talking with Jason Smith, Chamber President and CEO here in Manhattan, as uh, we move along here on a Thursday morning. Uh, getting back to the uh, regional leaders retreat here. Well, looks like we got another call coming in here. Uh, you had some updates on entrepreneurship. Uh, I know that's a big topic here for the chamber, and yep. you guys really try to plug that anytime you can. Yeah. So you know, obviously, Scorpion gets a lot of headlines, but we feel very strongly that the thing that we can do the the best long term for this community is to is to encourage and incite more uh, private or locally owned uh, businesses of all types, and so. We have invested in entrepreneurship since we started the implementation of the Region Reimagined Strategy, and and most of that investment has been made so far into Spark MHK, which is um, a group that was formed, a nonprofit that was formed to work on uh, ecosystem uh, enhancements for the region to encourage more startups. And they've done a lot of training. They've they've cataloged uh, all the resources that are available and put it in one place. So if you're interested in starting a business. You can go there, and and hopefully it it makes it easier to get that initial um, idea uh, off the ground. Um, you know, there's some other things that that we need to do as well, and one of those is access to capital. And we've really worked hard to look at some existing programs around the country and ways that we can uh, create a better pool of capital for people to access. And this has been kind of an interesting dynamic. And I'm going to credit Ken Williams, who works with um, Kansas State Innovation Partners for really kind of pointing this out to me because he's been in this business here in Kansas for a long time. But, you know, 15 years ago, uh, our biggest challenge in Kansas and Manhattan, we had all these projects that were moving forward, but we didn't really have angel or venture capital to get them to the next stage. And so a lot of times, uh, if you if these groups wanted angel and venture capital, they had to move to one of the coasts or Austin or somewhere to get it. That has changed, and, I, and that is true. I've seen that change over the years where, where, A, you've got more Midwest angel and venture funds available, but, B, these coastal venture and angel funds are willing to come to the Midwest, invest, and not make them move. And that's been a dynamic that has changed because I think a lot of people recognize now the quality of life in the Midwest is, is good. But Kansas had a number of programs to encourage startups in the very early stages that basically – um, over time were eliminated. And so we used to have this huge pipeline and no way to fund it. And now we have ways to fund it, but we don't have a pipeline. And so uh, that's where we're really focused is how can we build the pipeline back up? Um, 
I'm part of the Kansas State Innovation Partners Board, and that group has voted on cre the creation of a couple of funds to help um, to get technology off the ground at Kansas State and move into business. So you saw Hydrograph, which is a company that announced last week. That was a that was a technology that came out of K-State that over time developed and, and now has been created or has become a company through a licensing agreement. But it took a while to get there. So how can we have more hydrographs and, and move those things forward? Um, and so they've created a couple of funds to do that. So then the next two stages for us then are what can we do as a community to not only take the Kansas State um, technology that's at that point, but also community ideas that may develop and move those into a stage that's ready to be um, either looked at by angel or venture capital. And so we've, we've got a couple of ideas on that. One is a venture fund that we are going to try to raise private funds to, to move forward with. And then another is a community fund and Topeka has one. I mean, there's other communities that have put this together. When I was in Nebraska, the state had one where um, if you had an idea, you could come in for some early stage funding. It usually requires a match. So you get, you get more volume for that, and, and ultimately you can you can see it's a lot easier for, for a person with an idea to get to the stage where they can bring in outside investment. And we really need to look at that. The other part of that, that that we have said is very important is part of that community fund, there needs to be a portion of that set aside for disadvantaged businesses, that if we're really going to see the change uh, in 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 kind of historical wealth distribution and and how people are um, have opportunities and, and equity is is we have to create more private uh, more entrepreneurs in, in those uh, communities and so uh, we are very committed to the community fund we're very committed to a portion of that community fund being designated uh, for disadvantaged businesses, businesses that are owned by people of color, those kind of things, and and um, and we think there's an opportunity to do that. The, you know, we have all these new uh, jobs that have been announced, and and those are great. But now we need to really focus on more locally owned businesses, and how do we get more of those in Manhattan? And the reason is fairly simple. I mean, I think if you look around, and you see most of the philanthropy that happens in in this community. Uh, most of the larger, actually, employers in this community that are private employers, most of them started as private businesses, and the private business are the ones that are that are really participating in downtown redevelopment to make the community a better place, and they're they're setting up funds at the community foundation. I mean, there's just locally owned entrepreneurs are the ones that tend to be um, that give back the most, and and we have had uh, the benefit of having some really great ones here who have given back. And we need to start identifying who the next round of those um, philanthropic entre entrepreneurs who create jobs for this community are. Yeah, those are the good ones. And those are the ones that we, I know we work a lot with here, too. Like, I'll just say, you know, Manhattan Running Company, that's a good example oh, of sure. one that does a lot yeah. of that here in the community. Yeah, or on, you know, on a larger end, Civic Plus. I mean, think mm -hmm. about um, uh, what, what Civic Plus has done and the ownership uh, to create a better community, and part of it's selfish because they want to make Manhattan attractive to to uh, to um, people to come work here. But but it also creates a better community overall. But even going further back, think about steel and pipe, and and then the legacy SPS and steel and pipe, and and the Goldsteins have in this community as well. And and you kind of see why. Oh, okay, yeah, we 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 need locally owned businesses, and we love all business at the chamber, but. But these branches or, or part of larger groups 
all the profits get sent somewhere else and they don't get invested in the community to the same level that the locally owned businesses do. And I just think that's something that we have to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Robert's been waiting patiently here. He's got a question uh, tied to pharmaceuticals. So, Robert, go ahead. Robert, go ahead. Thank you for the educational opportunity that you presented here. You know, when you're raised to live from paycheck to paycheck, life in the real world outside of here is scary. But uh, I work for a pharmaceutical uh, developer down in Daytona, down in uh, Davie, Florida, and uh, we were producing generic pharmaceuticals. And they came in, and the government came in and offered them $30,000 for each job they'd moved to Puerto Rico. So I packed it all up. We sent it out of there in trucks. And a year later, they called back. They couldn't get an FDA uh, certificate of cleanliness in Puerto Rico to produce. And they packed it all up and brought it all back to me. And I put it all back together and, you know, did what we could to get them back and running. Uh Pharmaceutical and medical uh, development is a big deal, especially out in California. The economists are talking about it all the time. There's one that we're into, no names, that uh, it has deep brain stimulation. they got three clinics in Chicago, the only one with the FDA clearance to operate, and they are doing uh, famous football players that you'd know the names and famous boxers that you'd know the names. But... Just you know, the the stock has been any higher than a dollar this year. It closed yesterday at eighteen cents, but we're still into it and buying because, you know, if we'd have saved how many high school kids or how many college kids or professionals that are involved in this Roman Colosseum battle game that everybody sponsors, how much better we could be as a community and as uh, grandparents and whoever else. Thank you so much for your educational opportunity. Yeah, I you know I'm I'm not a pharmaceutical expert. I have worked uh, the last three of the last four communities that I've been in. Um, we worked with a um, a company. Well, it was actually started. It was a Stellus, and uh, they sold to a startup that was was doing contract manufacturing and pharmaceuticals. And the primary product out of that facility, this is in Norman, was Flomax. So uh, a lot of men a lot of men know what that is. Um, and then when I was in um, Lincoln, we had um, we had um, uh, Novartis was there and and Pfizer's Animal Health, which is spun out into something else now. But um, and so I'm not an expert on it. I have worked a lot in it. I, I do know just from talking to the experts as we've worked with this project that there is there is a lot of money being put in by the federal government to move this kind of. Um, these kind of operations back to the U.S. and I think again we saw it in the pandemic when we when we saw. I mean, think about early on when we ran out of uh, PPP or PP, PPP, PPE and PPE. Yeah, yeah PPP was the <laughs> business program, um, and and because was all you know it was all offshore whether it was being hoarded or not. I don't uh, that I don't know that that's we we know for sure, but. You know, and we're seeing it now with with baby formula, and you know, we 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 put all our eggs in one basket, and and I get apparently, and that plant closed, and now we're short on. I mean, there there are so many things in um, in what's going on with the supply chain where we're just figuring out that that we were able to save a lot of money manufacturing things overseas, and and I know 
People think it went to companies' bottom line, and some of it did. But some of it also was what made products a lot cheaper for consumers to buy. And we are a nation that is addicted to cheap stuff, right? I mean, um, think about, and I'm older than, than the two of you, but how much uh, uh, TVs were when I was a kid. TVs cost more when I was a kid than they cost now. And they were 20 inches. If <laughs> 27 yeah. inches was one of the biggest you could get. So unless it was projector. And those were thousands of dollars. And, you know, you look at what a TV costs now and it's, you know, you can go get a, I think I just saw an 80 inch one the other day for like 800 bucks. Um, we, that's, that's how we've been able to do that is by number one's technology. But number two is we've, we've found uh, less expensive areas to manufacture and, and we were able to do that for a while, but now we figured out, well, maybe that doesn't work as well as we thought it would for our sustainability and, um, and so some of it may need to come back and we've heard, I've heard estimates as much as 20% is going to come back from overseas. And, um, I think that's great for our economy. I think that's great for helping build up particularly the middle class in, in this country. If we can get people targeted into manufacturing careers and, and then those, those kind of STEM areas. Uh, but it also is going to make things cost more. And, and I think we're all just going to have to um, figure out what that looks like for each one of our families and, and, um, and think about how we, how we, how we, uh, adjust to that. Yep. Inflation's a real thing right now and we're all experiencing that too. So yeah. Uh, crazy stuff. All right. Well, let's uh, take a break. Come back more with Jason Smith in a moment here on News Radio KMAN. Back here on In Focus, News Radio KMAN, final segment here with the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Jason Smith. As we uh, continue our discussion here, uh, you know, the supply chain issues continue to be a, a problem, as we see in the news uh, almost daily here. And uh, I know that kind of trickles down here to the even the local level here, uh, where you guys try to find solutions here even locally with, uh, you know, warehouse space, whatever else it yeah. may be. Yeah. So, uh, about six months ago, I was attending a conference of uh, national real estate, uh, people who work directly with companies on, on large economic development projects. And, um, as I said, they, they estimated 20% of, of, of manufacturing was going to onshore, um, that had left. And, um, and they said it's it's a boom in manufacturing and warehousing like they have never seen. These are people who've been in the business for years and years, and um, I believe the numbers most used were fifty. They used their projects generally over the years have been about fifty percent industrial, fifty percent office, and that's now ninety ten. And and I think that makes sense if you think about it. Uh, office right now is very unstable because people are trying to figure out what the future work looks like. And, you know, a lot of people have shifted a lot to home base. And is that going to last? Then retail is, is not particularly growing their showroom and their stores uh, because what's, what they figured out is they just need a small space to kind of show their products because people are going to end up going online anyway. And, and, and people have gotten used to quite frankly, having stuff shipped to their house and, and they kind of like it. And so why would, you know, a, a, a business that used to stock, we well, go back to the TVs example, right? That used to make sure they had 20 of every TV in their store. Now is like, well, we can just have two or three of each in our store and put the rest in a warehouse and, and we can now do two day shipping or one day or whatever and get it to people. So, so what we're seeing is a high demand of, of people looking for new manufacturing and warehousing sites. Uh, we have been very clear that this region, we do not have those kind of sites uh, readily available. And so 
we're missing out on a lot of opportunities. And so we have, we have focused very hard on trying to identify uh, sites regionally. So we're working with Jack May, uh, Austin on some potential sites in Wamego. Uh, of course, we, we're going to have some additional land around the Scorpion project, and then we're also trying to figure out what we can do to expand the business park out by the airport, and then also what's in Junction City, because, I mean, that's they've got some availability right on Interstate 70, so what can we maybe focus and, and, and push out that direction? But um, it's something that if we don't get a handle on it, we are going to struggle, I think, to add commercial valuation uh, once these – uh, projects that we're doing right now are kind of off. We got really fortunate on Scorpion in that the initial request, they, they were targeting constructing 200,000 square feet and, and needed 15 acres. Well, we have a 16 acre site at the business park. And so we submitted the 16 acre site at the business park. Um, eventually they ended up, as you know, 500,000 square feet and we don't know the exact property size that will end up being, but it's probably going to be closer to 35 to 40. Um, if they had cited that correctly when they did their initial RFP, we would not have made even the first round on that. And because we had this site that they ended up looking at that came available in the interim, they'd fell, already fallen in love with K-State and Manhattan. And and so they were willing to, to take a, a bigger risk with us in terms of our ability to be able to get that developed and, and annexed in time to, to fit their timelines. So, but if, but initially when you're looking at 27 states and hundreds of communities, you're going to pick one that has a site ready to go. And so we have to be cognizant of that. Um, and, and we are a state, Kansas is a state that relies a lot more on commercial property tax than any other state I've been in. So we value commercial property here at 25% residential, 11%. That means commercial is basically two and a half times the rate of residential. Um, that means we that that basically we rely on commercial to fund a lot of our government services. If we're not adding commercial valuation, that puts a lot more burden on the residents and puts a lot more burden on the commercial um, uh, entities that are here. And as we've talked about in here many many times, if we don't grow, then we we're going to have to make one of two choices: either we're going to cut services, or or our governing boards are going to raise rates. And we don't like either of those choices. So we have to add commercial valuation. If there's not going to be a lot of office uh, added, and we, we have several that are on the drawing board, so even after that, it'll be tough, and, and we don't see a lot of retail moving in the near future, then we better be ready to do warehousing, and we better be ready to do manufacturing. And so we're going to be continuing to talk a lot about that uh, this year, and hopefully we can have a resolution of that by the end of the year. Well, yeah, warehousing space, I, I can see so many uh, big potential opportunities there. You mentioned the the areas that you tend to look at. Is there an area north? Would, would going north even make sense uh, at all? Here? So a couple of challenges there. Um, the transportation corridors aren't aren't as good because I mean obviously the closer you are to I seventy, the yeah. better it is. Um, and then trying to get water and sewer and those kind of things up into those areas uh, becomes a bit of a challenge. It's not. Uh, it's not that we aren't considering that. It's just that if you look at what. Is already has most of the infrastructure in place and um, is at least or at least planned. Um, those are the areas that kind of run along the 2418 corridor and then down to, of course, Junction City in those areas. But if there's a strategy to do something north, that would be great. Um, you know, obviously north of campus is the the KSU farm, and and they're not likely to want to give up 
the years and years of research data they have sure. there. And so you'd have to jump that and then you're going through some hills and you're going through the rocks and you, you run into those challenges, but it's not undoable. Okay. Interesting. Well, it's uh, certainly a fun discussion to, to keep going on. I do want to let you get to your ribbon cuttings. You do have some coming up, right? Yeah, we have a couple. Um, on Wednesday, June 1st, we will be officially cutting a ribbon for Flight Crew Coffee, which is the new coffee house at 423 points. It is now officially the closest coffee shop <laughs> to the chamber. So um, we have had some chamber people over there uh, over the last couple of months. And then we're going to do a ribbon cutting at Kia Manhattan. They have new ownership, so they, they want to introduce everybody to their, their new team. I will say a couple, couple that we've had in the last couple of weeks, uh, we, we uh, cut a ribbon on the new industrial engineering tech lab at MATC. Of course, MATC is so important to this community as we talk about economic development. And so the investments in MATC help us tremendously. And then a couple of new locations, um, the Flint Hills Volunteer Center, which uh, is is really important again to this community. We had theirs on April 27th at 322 Houston Street, Suite 104. And I will give a shout out to Lori who rescheduled that because it originally scheduled uh, right in the middle of the Scorpion uh, announcement. And so uh, she was very gracious and rescheduled that. And we appreciate that. And then we had uh, a very well attended ribbon cutting at uh, Andrews and Associates Counseling who moved to 4201 Anderson Avenue, Suite D, uh, which is, of course, at, um, I can't remember the name of that office park, but it's uh, Scenic and Anderson, that, mm. that area in there, and a beautiful office, and um, and we were happy to go celebrate with them. So um, it's a very exciting time to be in Manhattan and a very exciting time to be celebrating business openings and business growth. And so appreciate you letting us come on and talk about those with you. You bet. Always like talking to you, Jason. Good, good to have you here again in studio. Uh, coming up tomorrow on the program, we're going to be hearing from the Riley County Senior Center, also the Animal Shelter, and K-State Research and Extension. I believe it will be Megan Doherty tomorrow, but we'll find out.